Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. We're super stoked to have you here with us. Whether you're driving home from school or whether you're on the way back home from work or whether you're listening on on the work side or at home in your living room or somewhere else where you've got reception or uh, something else, we're super stoked to have you here. How are you going today? I'm good. I'm good, Robbie. How are you? I'm doing all right. I've got a, uh, I'm going to be real, like, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I'm doing excellent, and today I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm surviving, I walked through the door, but um, excited to be here. I'm feeling the same thing as well, to Are be honest you? with you. Yeah, definitely. It's okay, you know, sometimes I think it's, you can, you can, you can mask that you've, and pretend that you're like doing awesome when you're not, but you can also just be real about it and say, man, I'm, I've had a stressful week. Yeah. Uh, we're doing a bunch of health presentations at my church this weekend, and okay. I'm speaking seven times this weekend. And I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, how many I'm days are tired. there in the week? <laughs> uh, this is over three days. Okay. <laughs> two wow. on Friday, three talks on Saturday and two talks on Sunday. But hey, if you're in the Swansea area this weekend, I want to just encourage you and invite you to come check out our Rethink Health program. It'll be at the Swansea Library Friday at 6.30 p.m., Saturday and Sunday at 4.30 p.m. And you can check it out on our Facebook page, Coast Life Adventist Church NSW on Facebook. Book. Uh, check it out. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about a bunch of health stuff. So there's a shameless plug for you. But, I also um, have a shameless plug as well. Oh, do it. Just do it. Let's do it. It's shameless so, plug time. So next week is the first week of Evandale College's semester. So it's orientation week and there's heaps of cool things going on. So if you check out the edu.au website, um, you can find out what's going on for orientation week. So if you're new, you've just applied, there's heaps of cool things there every day. Um, I'll be there saying hey. And um, Good for, on you. for those returning students, there's free food every day. That's what oh, we're there yes. for. And so for those of you who might not be returning students, but you're curious and maybe thinking about doing some study, go check it out too. Yeah, check it out. Check out the free food. Free food makes the world go round, it I does. think, sometimes. But anyway, yeah. So life is good, though. Life is good. Sometimes we have busy times, but sometimes not all stress is distress. And I think mm. sometimes, are you a bit of a procrastinator like me? I am. There was a, there, you were procrastinating about whether or not you should answer, weren't you? <laughs> sometimes for those of us who struggle a little bit with procrastination, sometimes that little bit of extra impetus of uh, the, the stress of a due date can help us to do things that we probably wouldn't achieve, this is achieve very true. at it other times. It motivates us to... So maybe yes. you can relate to that out there. Some of you guys who are doing some study at the moment are just getting back into uni. We want to just encourage you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be, okay. be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, we've got a great show lined up for you today, guys. We're super excited. We are on our last installment of Philippians chapter 4 is what you. we're looking at today. And we've got our good friend Darren Pratt coming to share with us for our Testify segment. So super excited. Hang around. We will be back with you after the break. This is some band with a lot of letters in it singing God Needs Overcomers.
welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it's come the time of our show where we talk about some weird and wonderful things about the world. But just before we do, want to do just a uh, one more shameless plug, and Tash is going to tell you a little bit about this book that we're giving away. Boom. So we're giving away the Acts Saint, of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. Yes. <laughs> where it follows the story of the Apostles and the first Acts that they did. Awesome. And so if you want to call in for our question of the week segment, all you have to do is call or text in any question about God, spirituality, the Bible, etc. We'd love to hear from you. And the first caller in is going to receive a free copy of this book. It's the last week we're giving this one away. It's a great book. I've read it myself. I highly recommend it. So you can do that by... You can call us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us on 0491-064-669. Booyah. So what do you have for us today, Tash? See, all my weird and wonderful facts have come from my life. And, <laughs> which is not a bad thing because I've been doing some very interesting things of late. And the most interesting thing that I did of late is I moved house. Oh, how many times do you reckon you've moved in your life? See, that's, that's an interesting, I tried to count. I think. <laughs> so a few, more than, more than twice is from the sounds. More of. than twice. I think it's eight, eight times. Oh, is that all? Seven or eight times. I think I've moved over 20 times that I, I've oh. had over 20 residences at least. Wow. Yeah. That's, but in saying that. I've had that, close I, to that in the last like 10 years. In the last 10 years? In the last four years, <laughs> no, I've moved quite, four times. Years, but I've had a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have had over 20. Over 20? Yeah. Wow. I'm 33. That's, that's uh, a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Could be more. But anyway. So, so what are you going to tell us about? If you're doing the math on the other end, please do the math because I can't at the moment. Even though I'm really good at math. So what are you going to tell us about moving house? Sorry, I interrupted you big time. No, no, no. So I, that, that was one of the first things is that uh, when we – moving house is another thing that we like to procrastinate on because you know exactly what needs to be done, but the actual getting it done in the first place is or starting is always hard. And um, – I managed to move in the space of 24 hours. I still Wow. Yes. Can you fit all your stuff in the back of one car? I used to be able to do that. Not anymore. <laughs> um, it has grown exponentially. Uh, it took, I think, three or four car trips, but that I included a friend. So it was me and her car. Nice. <laughs> yes. Well done. Which was good. So uh, that's the other thing, too. Most of my moves I've always done by myself, but this is the first move I did with somebody. Which was good. So uh, if you want to move, make sure you get a friend to help you because it will make it very quick. And also there's someone there who can talk you through all the things that you're moving, which was what I needed. Yeah, the I last, like that. Well yeah, done. the last 24 hours. Because what we don't realize is when we're moving is um, a lot of the things that we own actually have a lot of emotional attachment to it. Uh, photos, uh, certain um, books or pamphlets or things that you've collected over the, the past year or if you've been living in your home for many, many years and having someone there to do it with you is, can be, um, very helpful. And <laughs> so yes, uh, there was a few things that I threw, threw away yesterday. Also a lot of things that I donated as well, uh, in terms of clothes. Um, especially as a, as a woman, we tend to hold on to clothes. Uh, I've got, I've got a jacket in there that I've owned since I was 18. So that's pretty impressive. I have a beanie. I have one beanie that I've owned since I was 16 years old. So I've had it for more than half my life. In fact, most people, when they, when they talk about who, who's Robbie? Oh, the American with the orange beanie who's something I was known literally for over 10 years. And it's that same orange beanie. It's literally the same one. Oh, wow. it's crazy. I have a blue beanie that my mom made that I've owned for about 
20 years. Good on you. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, so people know, oh, that's oh, it's Sash because of her beanie. And this coat that I still hold on to, even though I don't actually fit it, I've had since I was 18. But my friend said, can you fit that anymore? And I said, no, but it was a, it's a very good wool like coat that I probably would never wear in Newcastle because it's always humid. Um, but man, one day I will. One day I will. Um, yes. So that's just some of the things <laughs> about moving. But... Some of the main reasons why people move are... Oh, you didn't ask me. Why are you moving? Oh, why are you moving? Um, <laughs> it's closer to, closer to college. Yeah. And the people I'm moving in with, I've been friends for a really long time. And I thought, yeah, it's time to move in with some friends. And which is good. But most people move out because... Or they change houses because either they're upsizing or downsizing. Um, the house was too small. Their family is grown. They need a bigger house. Or... There are family who's have kids who's, who have moved on, so now they need to downsize. Or you're in a situation where your home is getting too expensive and you found a better place, or you've been renting and you've um, finally got the funds together and now you're moving to your new home that you own. Um, there's also job relocation, marriage, retirement, changing neighborhoods, uh, financial situations. How many people do you reckon move for schools, like to get into a better sector? Because where I come from, I don't know if it's like this in Australia, but lots of people like there's a boundary line. If you live in this place, your kids get to go to this school versus that school. Is that has, Did that come up in your research? That didn't come up in my where I'm currently living in that research, but where I lived in Melbourne, that is definitely a thing that every, that a lot of people do. So they will move, yeah, move homes just to be in a certain school district. There you go. Yeah, fascinating. It is fascinating. I didn't think it was a thing until my sister told me it was because she's got kids who are who are entering into high school. You know what I love year. about this? Yeah, that no matter how many times you've moved in your life, Jesus has a home for you that's in heaven that he's waiting to bring bring you to, and it'll be the last home that you get to get forever. Oh, amazing. This is Martin Smith, Grace. I was lost when you found me here You pulled me close and held me near I'm a fool, but still you love I'll be the fool for the king of love You gave me wings so I could fly And gave me a song to color the sky And all I have is all from you
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. It's come that time of our show where we hear some real present-day stories about real people's real faith. And uh, here we go. And it's our Testify segment, and we have our friend Darren Pratt with us here today. And um, just tell us about a little bit about yourself and your story. Yeah, hi, Tash. Hi, Robbie. It's good to be on your afternoon show. Yeah, yeah. And I often listen to you when I'm driving, so I feel a little bit like... I'm in the studio now with these two cool dudes. Um, I heard about your plants last week, and I <laughs> was trying to text him to say, this is how you keep plants alive. But anyway, um, into my story. Um, I want to tell you a story that is the reason why I'm here today. And it happened to me when I was seven years old. And I really wanted a Bible. I mean, I went to church. I was brought up in the, in the church, the Adventist church, and um, went to church with my mum and dad, and I saw all the other people had these beautiful, leather-bound, ribboned Bible. So why can't I have one? So I passed to mum and dad from the t- age of six until seven, and at the eighth, seventh birthday, I got this beautiful leather-bound Bible, gold edging around the edge, the ribbons in the middle, the birth, deaths and marriages in the front, and the pictures in the back and maps. It had everything. And I felt like I was a real awesome Christian now because I had my own Bible. And I'll take it to church and get mum and dad to help me find the text and things like that. I'll take it home and put it in pride of place on my desk in the middle of... My desk was my yellow Ted and my monkey and my homework and all the things I treasured with my Bible right in the middle. And my desk, you remember this, was under a window. Often was open because no air conditioning in Mildura those days. It often got very hot in the summer. So we would leave the house open, live on the farm, leave the doors open, the windows open. You just did that back then. And anyway, on this day, it was a really hot day in Mildura. And we went to the park, Apex Park on the river to go swimming all day um, at the beach there, which is um, a, a sandy beach in Mildura. And the paddle steamers make the surfboard ways for us to surf on, all those sorts of things. So it's a lot of fun in Mildura um, on the hot days. And in the afternoon, this huge dust storm comes up, big red dust rolling in. And a thunderstorm behind it, Mum and Dad said, quick, in the car, we've got to get home. The windows are open and the doors and washing on the line, that sort of thing. So we all race with the car, the six of us children, and we pile in and off we go. We get just across the bridge on the way back home where we live, going over the river when the thunderstorm hits. Rain, lightning, red mud, dust. And I remembered at that moment my Bible on my desk, under the open window. And I remember as a seven-year-old sitting there, squashed between my brothers and my sister, thinking, does God think about seven-year-old prayers? Does God answer seven-year-old prayers? And is God real? I've heard about him. And so I said, I'm going to try this. So I prayed a prayer like this. I said, dear Jesus, please protect my Bible. And if you do, I'll give my life to you. You can do what you want with it. So I made that bargain with God. Look after my Bible, you can have my life. 
And Senior Rice is a pretty big prayer to pray. <laughs> um, but I did. And anyway, we, we arrive home and, yeah, the place is a mess. The, the dust and the wind is blowing through the windows. The lounge room is a mess. The table's a mess. Furniture, carpet all covered in this red mud like you get out there in Mojera in the country. And um, I didn't worry about that. I raced down the hallway to my room I shared with my four brothers and raced to my desk, which was under the window. Well, red, big red, yellow Ted's now red Ted, blue monkeys now red monkey. My homework, absolute red disgrace. Good excuse for the teacher that the storm got it. Everything was wet. My bear was wet. The Everything in that room was wet. But I kid you not, not one speck of dust, not one drop of water. In the middle of my desk, a dry ring around my Bible. And I stood there and said, well, you upheld your heart part of the bargain. I'm giving you my life. Take it. I'll do what your word tells me. Please make my life into something amazing. Here I am today. You know, we all need to help our children identify the God moments in their life. I mean, I work in children and family ministries here in Newcastle, love what I do, and the biggest thing we can do is not just teach children about God, but help them listen to God like Samuel did, help them to to hear God's voice and to respond to that and have their own personal God moment with God. There you go. That's beautiful, Darren. Thank you so much for that story. I love that. It, isn't it amazing that, like you prayed, I, I love that you said that even in your seven-year-old mind, you were thinking to yourself, you know, God hears the prayers of other people, yep. grown-ups, etc. but does God hear my prayers as a seven-year-old child? He, he does. Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. He, he treasures children and their prayers too. Amen. And, um, yeah, I think we as parents need to sometimes step back and let God come in and and do his powerful thing but then help our children recognize that after the event and identify that god moment in their life isn't that beautiful so powerful motivator that's right man and that's what a privilege that parents have to be able to do that with their children and for anyone else who is working with young children keep that in mind thank you so much darren may god bless you this is matt minicus give give me the bible star of gladness gleaming to cheer the wander, alone and tempest-tossed No storm can hide that peaceful radiance beaming Since Jesus came to seek and save the lost Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow Precept and promise, law and love combining, till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible when my heart is broken, when sin and grief have filled my soul with fear. 
the precious words by Jesus spoken Hold a faith's lamp to show my Savior dear Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise, law and love night shall vanish in eternal day. Steps enlightened Teach me the danger Of these realms below That lamp of safety O'er the gloom shall brighten That light alone The path of peace can show Give me the Bible Holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise Law and love combining Till night shall vanish In eternal day In eternal day In eternal For your redemption draws near. Hi, this is Sharissa and Danny, your hosts for Looking Up. Join us every Wednesday between 3.30 and 5.30 for our live show. We cover current news and how it relates to Bible prophecy. We'd love to have your company and interaction, so set your alarm and put it in your calendar. We will catch up then. You're listening to Faith FM. Different radio. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we're about to get into our Bible study portion for the day. And uh, before we get into that, we just want to invite you. We would love to have some interaction from you guys. Uh, we, at the end of our show, we do a question of the week portion, and um, we would love to hear from you. If you would like to send in any question of a spiritual nature, any questions about the Bible or theology or practice of what it means to be a Christian, etc. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can send those in, whatever they are, big or small, um, to us. <laughs> to us, but via a phone, <laughs> you can call us on 1-800-324-843 or 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can text it to us on 0491-064-669. And the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a book called Acts of the Apostles, which goes through the life of the early church and gives some commentary on that. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. And today is our last day that we're giving that one away on the show. So we encourage you to call in, and the first person will get a free copy of that, totally free. So before we do anything else, we just want to open with a word of prayer. 
Father God, I just want to thank you for this day, for this opportunity for us to open your word. Please fill us with your spirit, all those who are listening, and us here in the studio. And we pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's do a quick recap. We're up to our last chapter of the book of Philippians. Now, last week we talked about Philippians chapter 3. What can we remember from last week? You got anything for us there, Tash? Dun, dun, The one thing that stands out for me from last week was being a citizen citizen of heaven. And when you are a citizen of a place and you're an ambassador to that place that wherever you go you represent that place so wherever we go we are not only citizens of heaven but ambassadors of Christ I love that so good and it's been such a great I I don't know I hope everybody else has been enjoying the series as much as I have but I this is this is one of my favorite books of the Bible my favorite passages in this this book of the Bible and it's just been so amazing to just be rereading these things and just hearing the stories. And just before we get into it, I just want to do a quick revision of one thing, and that is this. When Paul came to the city of Philippi in the province of Macedonia, he came to this place and he experienced persecution very early on in his time there. He wasn't there for very long, it seems. And in the midst of that persecution, this church had just been started, and he leaves and he's writing back to them from prison And it's just amazing that this was kind of the birthplace of this church, and it was the church that seems to have had the least amount of problems in the early church because it was born out of persecution. And I think that that's just a good thing to keep in the back of our minds, that persecution was their their introduction to Christianity and something that they were experiencing, most likely from the way that Paul writes this letter. And in the midst of those circumstances, a lot of what Paul says makes a little bit more sense. And so we're going to jump right into chapter 4 now. So we're in Philippians chapter 4 in the New Testament. And we invite you to turn there if you've got a Bible or to listen along. And we're going to get started. So if you could read for us verse 1, Tash. So Philippians 4 verse 1 says this. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. All right, question. What does he call the Philippians? My beloved. Beloved. Mm. Now, now in, our, in our Western context, this is not a term that we use very often, but if you were going to use it, what kind of context would you use it in? Maybe your significant other or... That's pretty much it, right? It's Or, or a son or daughter. Maybe my beloved maybe. son. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Not so much in a Western context in my experience, but yeah. maybe I'm American. I've got a cultural deficit, deficit against my name. So, But my experience would be it's very romantic, right? Usually yes, it's like yeah. a romantic term. We see that used in the Song of Solomon, etc., in the, in the scriptures as well. But I think it's amazing because it, it just speaks volumes about what Paul felt about these people he had introduced to Jesus Christ. He felt a longing for them, like a spouse would when they're away, right? Like he just loves them. He cares for their best long-term good. He cares for their interest. And to be separated from them and not able to come and assist them on their journey and help them in the midst of persecution leaves him in a position where he's just writing to them. And he says twice in the same sentence, he calls them beloved. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So it's like a double meaning. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wanted to also point out because um, a couple of weeks ago you said, therefore. Every time there's a therefore, there's a reason. You need to ask, what's it there for? What's it there for? I stole that from a friend of mine. It's it's good. (laughs) It's good though. (laughs) So it's like, what's the therefore? And then he says, beloved, beloved twice. Yeah. Isn't this interesting? So, so the, the passage just before as a, as a, uh, uh, a review was the passage in which the statement said, 
we are citizens of heaven. Your, our citizenship is in heaven, he says. Therefore, because our citizenship is in heaven, he says, stand fast. Mm. Hold on. Endure through the difficulties. Hold on to your faith. And notice what he says here. There's a really interesting statement. Sorry, we, Paul's writings are super dense, so there's a lot to be said a lot of the time. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, or brothers and sisters, you might put that in more modern language, he calls them my joy and my crown. And notice the word crown there. In, in our, our, our understanding, that might mean something different, but in the Greek, the word there is, is the crown like you would see an Olympian wear a wreath around their head when they won the medal at the end, if they've won the race. And so he's calling them, you're my crown. You're my victory medal. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? He says, look, like, what, what, what he's saying there is he's saying, stand fast. He's saying, I have, I have won because you have come to Christ. That makes me feel that I am a victor. I've won because someone has come to Christ. And he says, I long for you all because you have come to faith. And I love that. It's just beautiful what, how much Paul cares for them. And I think that's a note for any of us who are in positions where we are sharing Jesus with someone else. We should consider it a privilege. Sometimes it's difficult. There are challenges. But notice what he says. He says, these people that, that he has been able to introduce to the Savior, he says they are his joy and his crown, the symbol of his victory. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. All right, let's keep reading, or we're going to be on the one verse all day. We are going to be on the So let's one read verse. up through the next couple of verses. Okay. So I employ Yodia and I employ Syntec to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. All right. So what, what's he saying here? Give us a little bit of a recap. Um, he's mentioning names. But these names are women who have helped him in the cause, who have traveled with him, who have journeyed with him, because he calls them companions, so true companions. Isn't this interesting? I want to just highlight this. Mm. He, he, first of all, the two names in the Greek, which, by the way, if anybody out there is ever feeling like, oh man, I don't know how to pronounce these names, guess what? None of Neither us do. do. Yeah, we don't so either. it's okay. So just read them with confidence, and, mm. and everyone will believe that you know how they're pronounced, but it's nobody speaks ancient Greek. They speak modern Greek, and we don't know how it was pronounced then anyway, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> okay, but these two people... Euodia and Syntec, these two individuals, they're, they're both feminine names. And then he confirms this by saying, these women. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of things I want to note here. Point number one, like you just said, it's amazing in the first century world that women had a, a second class citizenship, so to speak. But Paul involved all the believers who were willing to share their faith in the faith, right? It didn't say that if you were one gender or the other, you would be given the ability to minister for Jesus, the ability to share the gospel. He says, hey, these people worked, they labored. And you got to remember, this. there was not like this system of the church had a whole system and organizational structure and, and payment of people in, the, in, in the, the same direct context that we see that now. Paul does say that a worker is worth his wages, but it's just beautiful to me that he highlights Two females here, which I think just goes a long way to show that females have a role in sharing Jesus with other people. And I think that's important for us to know. And I love that because he uplifts the, the ministry that women can do, regardless of where you sit on the spectrum of, of discussing about whether women should be ordained as ministers or not, or wh- wherever you sit on that spectrum is irrelevant. I don't care. It's, a, it's not a conversation I'm more interested in having. The point is every believer has a role to play in sharing the gospel, including women. And I love that. 
We could go on about that for we days. We could go on, sure. oh, and I don't have much to add either, um, except that yeah, every every person has a role. Every woman or man has a role. In young the work or old, young or old, I love it. Yeah, experienced or non ex- or inexperienced. Yeah, you, all, new to the faith all, or old in the faith. Absolutely, new and old to the faith. Beautiful. We all have something to bring and to share. Um, and but yeah, with Clement also, I don't know who Clement is, but it's a male name. Yes. So notice that there's the there's this this identification of these people who were part of his ministry. They were also working with him, and I love that he calls them companions. Right? Yeah. Beautiful. They True labored companions. with me in the gospel. They worked. They gave of themselves. And I'll check this out as well. There's some there's some really cool stuff in here. We don't want to stay here too long, but I think it's really interesting as well because sometimes we think. That uh, people who work in, in ministry or people who have been further along in, the, in their in their faith in Jesus might might have things a lot more together than we do. But I want to just highlight something. What does he say? He says, "I implore these two individuals," and he says, "I implore Euodia and I implore Syntex." So he says both of them. He, he singles them out in the midst of a whole community of people. He singles out two people, and he says, "Urge them to be of the same mind." Now, what does this seem to indicate? We've been talking about same mind, like-mindedness for the last few weeks. So it's saying, be in the same mind that is in Christ. That's right. Yeah. Now, what's the problem? Why would he have to go, not just say this to the community broadly, but he now singles out two people and says, I'm begging you, you, and I'm begging you, be of the same mind. What's this indicating? Are they of the same mind already? No, they're no. not of the same mind. What he's saying is, yeah. they have some conflict. Yeah. <laughs> You guys are having some conflict, and I want to urge you, sort it out. Yeah. And sort it out by becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. And then he says, I urge you also, this Clement guy, he says, I want to urge you as well to help them. Help them to navigate this conflict. Isn't that interesting? And the reason I highlight this is I think it's important. When there are, con- there one number one, there will be conflicts in a community of faith. There will be conflicts in church. We're broken human beings. It's going to happen. Yeah. Point number two, we should always try where we can to manage that conflict and to resolve it in a Christ-like way mm-hmm. as much as possible every time. Yeah. And this is what's being indicated here. And guess what? Sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, that might mean you didn't work it out yourself. Somebody else had to bring it to your attention. And sometimes it even means you might have to get somebody else involved. Yeah, And I think that's helpful for us to know because a lot of people walk away from church and they walk away from faith, not because of Jesus, not because of scripture, but because they had an emotional, personal conflict with someone else and they were unable to resolve that in a Christ-like way. And so they walk away, not because there was an issue theologically, not because there was an issue with Jesus, not because there was an issue with the church per se, but there was an issue with a person in the church and because they were unable to resolve that conflict or or unwilling yeah. to resolve that conflict, mm-hmm. they leave the faith. And that's a shame. And that's what Paul's saying here, yeah. I believe, in this text. He's saying, you gotta, you got to humble yourself and work it out. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is cool. interesting. Anyway, sorry, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. No, no stop. <laughs> but I think that's a really important thing to note. There's so much to be drawn out of these texts. All right, yeah. let's keep reading. Okay. Let's read verse four and five, and then who knows? Who knows how well, how long we'll go through this chapter? We might have to do chapter four, part two next week. We'll see what happens. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot in here. And that was we, a joke. We, by we the way. Wanna, we're going to we, get through. It. Yeah, no, okay. We are, <laughs> we're going to push through. We're going to push through. Okay. So we're in chapter four, and we're looking at verse four and five. It says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. 
I love it. What do you have to share with us, Tash? Oh, rejoice. I've, I've got two songs that I could sing just on verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I see rejoice. Beautiful. Do you want me to sing the other one? Do it. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say, again I say rejoice. You have a great voice, Tash. Oh, thank you, Robbie. I've heard it many times, but it's nice to hear it on the radio. Uh, you guys probably haven't heard it as much, but come. I don't know where you're going to church at the moment, Tash, but you should, you should invite people to come there so they can hear you sing too. I definitely will. I love it. Okay. So yes. So what's the importance of rejoice? Why why is this so significant? It's significant because people think joy just comes, but you need to you actually have to choose joy. Woo! Yes. And we can. Uh, Victor Frankl um, wrote a book about um, man's search for meaning. Victor yes. Frankl. If you Victor haven't Frankl. read it, read it. Highly recommend it. Write it down right now. Go to. Pull your car over, look up on Audible. A little group, yeah, do the Google. Man's yeah. Search for, for Meaning, Meaning by Victor Frankl. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. Um, uh, top 10 outside of Scripture. Top, Yes, definitely top 10 out of Scripture. And he just goes through... Outside of Scripture, by the way. The Holocaust book. experience and just... <laughs> I'm talking about the Holocaust. Oh, wow, we're running out of time. Um, what do I say? That we're going to come back? We're going to continue to read... Um, no, you got a minute. Keep going. I got a minute? Yeah, talk. Oh, beautiful. Um, so yes, Victor Frankl <laughs> walks through the, um, experience of, um, prisoners that were in the Holocaust and just what it is to actually choose joy. Even in the midst of your circumstances, he, people were in, uh, concentration camps, but there was the ability, the freedom that, that was theirs to choose, to choose whether they're going to have joy or not. Isn't that interesting? And what's amazing in that story is that there were people who chose because they had a sense of purpose, something to live for, to hope in beyond that. They chose to have an, the ability to maintain joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Mm. And those were the people that he statistically found as a, he was a psychologist who was a prisoner. And he noted that the people who did this were the people who survived. Yeah. Those who gave up hope, who lost their sense of joy, which is a choice, are the ones who would perish early and not make it through. So you can choose joy. This is Candace Bergen. Catch the vision. There are souls 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study in Philippians chapter 4 up to verse 5 and 6, we are uh, just wanting to plug in for you to give you a chance to call in. That was a really long-winded way to say, hey, we'd love to hear from you for our question of the week session that we're going to have later in the show. And uh, the first person who calls in is going to get a free copy of a book called Acts of the Apostles, which goes through the story of the early church, including and a lot about the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. You can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Okay, so we were just talking about rejoice. Was there anything else you wanted to say on that task before we keep going? No, no, no. But I love what you said. Joy is a choice. Yes. Right? Yeah. Rejoice. Paul doesn't say kind of like, hey, just passively feel joy sometimes. No, he says rejoice. Choose to rejoice. When I get excited about something, I rejoice. But sometimes sometimes you have things that you could rejoice about, and you also have things that you could lament about. Now, this is not to say that you, you just disregard all negative things, but we can choose to focus on the things that are good and positive in our lives, and we can rejoice. And what's interesting is as you read through the Psalms, you read through some of the most serious and honest laments, questions for God that sound a lot like doubts at times, like difficult questions like, where are you, God? Why do I see the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering on the side of the road? What, what's happening here? Where are you, God? Do you, do you actually believe in justice? These are the kinds of questions you see asked by the psalmists, right? And yet in most of those Psalms, they also end by saying rejoices, mm-hmm. right? They choose to remind themselves of the reasons they can have joy in the midst of hardship by saying, but I know that you're faithful because you were faithful here and there and there and there, and I know that you're going to come through. And it allows them to be able to talk to God earnestly and sincerely, but also to rejoice because of what they know from what God has already done. And I love that. Yeah. All right, so on that This is a really great segue. I didn't think about it. But it's a really great segue into the next part. Let's read verse 6 and verse 7. Now, this is a very quoted passage of the Bible. It may be familiar to you. But before we get in there, I just want to comment on verse 5. Because it says, it's kind of stuck here in the middle of rejoice and then um, be anxious for nothing, which is the verse that we're about to head into. And it's the one that everyone... Uh, quotes like this is the one that you see on on your Instagram feed, your Facebook feed. Um, but I just want to quickly stop here. It says, "Let your gentleness be known to all men, because yes, we rejoice and we choose to rejoice. But our gentleness needs to be known in everything that we do, whether we're whether we're lamenting, whether we're um, choosing joy, whether we're in the way that we speak to each other. Um, we should always choose gentleness in the way we do it." That's so rebuking. I, I hear you know you're making a funny face to me. No, seriously, that's so rebuking. I hear that and I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm just not gentle enough with people. Yeah, I'm not gentle enough. There's times where I just jump to being upset or overwhelmed or but well, just even not when we're gentle. right, you know, like yeah, because there are times when we are right and maybe they don't need to hear it straight away <laughs> or maybe, maybe not. It's just, yeah. Maybe the way that we say it can the way be. we say it. Yeah, that's but a great yeah. point. That's a huge point. Yeah. 
So definitely yeah, the way we say it matters, guys. <laughs> so yeah, let your gentleness be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. And I think the Lord, I mean, that's how God will deal with us. I mean, in his relationship with us, he gives it to us gently and patient. He's always patient with us in the time that, that we can handle, in the way we can handle it as well. So yes. So that takes us to our next verse. All right. So this is the, this is the one, the quotable one that you see everywhere. Uh, verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Whew. I love it. I want to let you start because I've got a, I got like a big spiel. There is of things to say. <laughs> there's a lot of things in there, but I, I I'm going to just start with the first words, which are be anxious for nothing. So, Another version of this is don't worry for anything. Like, don't stress. Um, and isn't that a, an interesting message to be hearing off the back of all the COVID lockdowns that we've experienced in the last 12 months? Um, people thinking that, oh, 2020's over, everything's going back to normal, which was definitely not going to be the case, certainly no. isn't the case. No. If anything, we're just becoming used to it Yeah, to some extent, which is probably not the greatest thing in the world in some ways either. But... It's a hard thing because anxiety is through the roof, depression is through the roof, because when people are isolated and they lose a sense of purpose, those things dramatically increase. And people have felt so many changes. So with any change, there's always a loss of something. And the loss of our routine, the loss of our normalcy, the loss of people being at school, the loss of jobs. And so it's hard to say, hey, let's just, hey, don't stress. Be anxious for nothing. So why is God saying it this way? Because he's saying, which is the next part is, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He's saying, talk to me, give it to me in your prayers, in your laments, give it to me and I will take care of it. Just let your everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going in your heart be made known to me. But he's not just saying all the bad things, but he's also saying all the good things in your thanksgiving, give it to me. Mm, totally. Yeah. I love it. It's at, at the first, like if you've ever experienced anxiety or depression, which I think if, well, if I'm honest, at least I have. And, um, it's interesting that often, you know, that's, that's the kind of comment. If you were to say, ah, don't worry. It's the kind of comment that just like makes it worse, yeah. right? For the person who's experiencing it. It does. Yeah. But it's interesting. So why would God say that? But what's interesting is what you said. He says, be anxious for nothing, but. And I love that because but is a contrast. It's a contradiction. He says, don't be anxious. Instead, pray. Yeah. Right? He doesn't say, don't be anxious by not being anxious, which is what most people say. Just oh, stop worrying. Just stop it and it'll, be, and it'll go away. But they don't give you any practical advice. But what God's doing is he's saying, hey, no, 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 no. Be anxious for nothing. But instead of being anxious, instead of worrying, pray. I love this. My mom used to have this written up on her bathroom mirror when I was a kid. And I used to go in there and I'd see it. And it said, worry about nothing. Yeah. Pray about everything. everything. Right? And I can still remember that. As a kid, I saw that in my mom's room or bathroom. And it, it just it stuck in my head all these years. And this is what he's saying. Now, I want to note a couple of things because it's not just as simple as, oh, just be anxious for nothing and pray. What does prayer mean? And I think this is a super interesting thing to talk about because he says a number of things. He says, but in everything, so that's the highs, the lows, and everything in between, by prayer and supplication, 
Now, supplication is a word we like never use. Supplication means requests. So if God is saying make requests and pray, whoa, 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 whoa. What is prayer then? Is mm-hmm. prayer just like, dear Jesus, I got a problem. Here's the problem. Le- deal with it. Thanks. Bye. Is that all prayer is? And unfortunately for many Christians, that is all that prayer is. Get up in the morning. Dear Jesus, thanks. Please do stuff. Bye. Sit down. Oh, it's dinner time. I should pray. Thanks, Jesus, for food. Please let it do stuff. Bye. Maybe you pray before you go to bed. Dear Jesus, thanks for doing stuff. Please do stuff. Bye. Right? If that was a real conversation, like if that was your conversation with your, your best friend, your mom, your sibling, your partner, whatever, you'd have no relationship. Let's be honest. Because that's not real. That's not real intimacy. It's not real closeness. But what God is inviting us into is come and pray to me and make requests. Yeah, you can, you can come to me and talk to me about your requests. You can talk about this thing. But also, tell me about the problems. Come and actually communicate with me, your maker. Yeah, but God knows everything. Yeah, but sometimes it's not for God's benefit. It's for yours to let those things out. And there's some things that you just can't talk to with anybody, and you all know exactly what I'm talking about. There's things that you would never, ever, ever open up and tell someone about. So what do you do with that? You just hold it inside and let it crush you from the inside and never deal with it? No, 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 no. You take it to a quiet, deserted place like Jesus did, and you start speaking to the Maker, the Father of all, and you start communicating with Him in prayer. Paul's writing from a prison cell when he says this. He says, don't be anxious, don't worry. But Paul, you're in a jail cell! And this is not prison like today. Like, prison's bad today, but prison was a lot worse then. You didn't go to prison as a punishment. You went to prison to await punishment, right? You were in prison awaiting condemnation. And the likelihood within the outcome was either you're going to get punishment like execution or something similar, um, expatriation sent out of the country, exile, or you were going to be set free and probably whipped before you were set free, right? Like he's just awaiting persecution, (laughs) basically. And he says, oh, don't worry, but instead pray. And I love this because Paul would have had a lot of stuff to pray to God about to say, I don't understand. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand why I'm being persecuted by the Jews, why I'm being persecuted by the Romans. I don't understand why I can't be out there helping these churches that have started. Where are you, God? What's going on? Like, you can talk about these things with Jesus. And I love that because it's not just about requests. It is about requests. He says to do that. Pray. Supplicate. Ask me for help. But he also says, come and talk to me. And I love this because my own experience says that when I have done this, it has been one of the greatest blessings in my entire life and that is one of the many things that has helped me most. It's one of the few things that's helped me most, I should say, in my own journey with mental health. And it's been such a blessing. And I love that. He also says, don't just pray. Don't just make requests. He says, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And there's so much to be said for this. You know, when we practice gratitude, it shifts our focus. And when, which is what we just talked about in the Psalms. We see this over and over. Talk honestly to God. And then thank him for what he has done, is doing, will do, because that sets you up for success rather than setting you up for failure. And he says what's going to happen, right? Yeah. What do you get when you do that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. I love that. Yeah. Right? The peace of God. Shalom in the Hebrew is what that word comes from, and I don't remember what it is in Greek, Irene or something. But the the the, the idea in the in the Hebrew mind was shalom is completeness, mm. shalom is peace. When they say Shabbat Shalom, it, it's it you know the the uh, the English speakers would say Happy Sabbath or something like that instead of that, like what that means. But it's more it's more than that. It's so all encompassing. It's like peace be upon you, 
right? Peace of the Sabbath. May the peace of the Sabbath enter you, right? You may you experience that completeness and wholeness, that rest, right? That's where these kinds of greetings come. They say shalom as a greeting, right? May God's complete peace be upon you. Mm. That's what he's saying. It's what he's promising. Isn't that powerful? It's powerful. And what does it come as a result of? Prayer, Prayer. supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And he says it's not even going to make sense. It works in such a profound way that it doesn't even make sense sense that it could work. But he says it does. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that level of peace, the peace that you can have in a prison cell awaiting execution when you're writing to your friends saying, keep holding on, keep enduring persecution, it's going to be okay, we got citizenship in heaven while you're awaiting trial to die, right? He says it's that peace, that's the peace that you get, the peace that makes you be able to have peace in the midst of all yeah, all stuff breaking loose. You know what yeah. I mean? Isn't that powerful? So prayer is powerful. Whew. All right, let's read verse 8. That's probably as far as we'll get before the break, <laughs> I'm reckoning. But that's powerful, and I hope that if you've heard this, take that away with you. Everybody has access to prayer. They can cut your tongue out of your mouth, and they can't stop you from praying. Mm. Right? Nobody can take that away from you. Amen. All right. Are we going to hit 8? Verse yep, 8? Let's do 8. Okay. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if any, if there is any virtue and if there is any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Awesome. Let's read the next verse as well. Let's just do it. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I love this, because I've got a point that I want to make that, that, that draws out of these, but is there anything you'd like to share first? No. No? Okay. <laughs> okay, so first of all, he gives this fat list. Now, number one, he said, be anxious for nothing. So what do we do instead of being anxious? Number one, we pray. We pray. Mm-hmm. Number two, this is a three-part you know, recipe. Number two, he says, finally, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. He says, meditate on these things. What does that word mean? Meditate. To meditate is to think deeply, right? Focused. Sorry, I was, it was more of a rhetorical question. Sorry. <laughs> but to think deeply. And in the Greek, the word says essentially to, to reason to a logical conclusion, mm. to think down to the basic most component. He says, think on all the things that are good and reason through those and let them sink deep into who you are and in the way that you think and do. This is rescue, whatever is true. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is Think about 
there's children dearly loved You were once in darkness, now you're light to Him So set your mind on things above Oh, forgetting what's behind In the time when my soul was dead Pressing forward towards the goal To win the heavenly prize instead Whatever is true, whatever is right Whatever is Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And before we get into our last Bible study section, we just wanted to remind you that we'd love to hear from you. You can send in your questions, um, whether it be about the the text that we've been studying today or in the, the recent weeks or anything else that you'd like to explore with us about God, the Bible, etc. And uh, we'd like to invite you to do that by calling in 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 491 And the first caller in again is going to receive a free copy of a book called Acts of the Apostles. Last week that we're offering that one, next week we're going to have something new for you. So just highly encourage you to send those in and uh, you can get your hand on a free copy of that too. All right, so we've just been talking about be anxious for nothing. And then it says to pray. And then the next thing it said was to meditate on the things that are good, pure, lovely, just, virtuous, praiseworthy, of good report. And what I love about this is this. What, what we now know scientifically, it, like what, what we're proving scientifically now, God told us 2,000 years ago in Paul's letters, right? And that's simply this. Your focus is going to determine your thoughts. Like where you focus your thoughts will determine your feelings, your attitudes, and your behaviors. Mm. So you can choose what you think on. And what he's saying here is this. He's saying, number one, instead of being anxious, number one, pray. Bring all of your things, all of your difficulties, all of your joys, all of your sorrows, all of your petitions before God. Number one, pray. Number two, he says, think. Choose to focus your thoughts on the things that are good and worth focusing on. Mm. And then he says the third thing. So number one, pray. Number two, think. And then number three, and in verse nine he said this. He says, the things which you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these do. do. Yeah, so good. Right? Because you can, you can pray and you can think. But guess what you also need to do? You need to take some actions. Yeah. And so he says this. He says, look. You want to experience radical change in your life. You want to experience the peace of God. And notice this. Notice how he finishes this. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? Mm. So he couches this in this in these two things. He says, be anxious for nothing. If you pray, you'll have the peace of God. Then think on good things and then do what you saw me doing. As I was reflecting Jesus, you do the same thing you saw me doing. 
So you reflect Jesus too. And he says, when you do that, when you pray and think on good things and do as Christ done, then he says, again, the peace of God will be with you. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Ah, your heart and your mind will be guarded by the peace of God and God's peace will be with you. I love it. It's so powerful. So what were the three things? Pray, think, and, and do. do. <laughs> love it. It's a really simple method. Pray, think, and do. And it's, look, it's like anything that you want to do in life. Um, you want to be a good leader. You want to go to be, be a good parent. You will spend your time in parenting books and uh, podcasts and, and talking to other parents. Same as being a leader. But this is the same as being with Christ. Um, spending time in those things and where you want to focus your time. So, yeah, definitely. I love it. I love it. So good. All right. So we're going to keep reading here. We're going to jump into the next portion of the text. So let's read on from verse 10. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Awesome. What's going on here? Wow. He's now showing us what it looks like to rejoice, what it looks like when... He's testifying as to his life. What happens when he's praying and his thoughts and what happens when he's doing, when he's doing Christ in his life. These are the things that hap- that happens. He's saying like, it doesn't matter where I am, I will be content. Whether it's things are going well for me or things are not going well for me. When I'm, when my belly is full and when I'm hungry. In all these things, even when I'm suffering, I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's content. It's crazy. I love that. Yeah. Contentedness. Yeah. And we got to remember again, where's Paul writing this from? From a jail cell. From a prison cell. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Right? There's so much depth to what he's saying. It's so profound. I love also that he says, right at verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced, right? He's telling them, you rejoice. He says, but I rejoiced. What caused you to rejoice, Paul? He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished, right? And then he says this, he says, you did care. He says, but you lacked the opportunity. In other words, he's saying, look, you always had the motive to help. You always wanted to be in a position where you were going to help me, you were going to help my ministry. You knew that I was, I was going through difficulty and persecution and hardship, and you always wanted to help. But there's an interesting thing. In scripture, and and sometimes in our society, we get this really messed up, and we get it messed up in both directions, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes we talk about, well, as long as the actions were right, it doesn't matter what the motives were, right? That's That's a real mindset that a lot of people have had. As long as the action was right, it doesn't matter what my motivation was. We know that that's not true because we see Jesus rebuke the Pharisees for doing certain things correctly with the wrong motivations, But there's a pendulum swing that people often do and they go to the total opposite end of the spectrum and make the same mistake in reverse by saying, well, if your motives are right, then it doesn't matter what you do. Well, guess what? That is equally wrong in the opposite direction. They're both wrong. And what Paul's saying here is he's highlighting the importance of both motivation and action, right? He says, look, 
I knew that you cared, but I'm so grateful. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that, that you chose to act out of those motivations. Right? He says, look, you, you lacked opportunity, but when opportunity came, your motivations met your feet and your hands and you did something with it. And that's what faith really is. When you've got the motivations and then when opportunity arises, you put the motivations into action. That's faith. And I love this because he's saying, look, man, you lacked opportunity, but now I can rejoice because what you wanted to do, your faith that was internal has now been realized, actualized, and now it's been proven, right? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I love that. And then he goes on. I love how he says it. He's like, not that, not that I had a need. He's like, I didn't need, like I, I was going to be all right. It's not like I was going to die without your help. But then he says this, for I have, and, and, and this is the reason. He says, for I have learned. And I'm going to steal some thoughts as we share through this from, uh, we, we discussed a little bit of this passage with my leaders group, my leaders meeting, uh, at my church this week. And there were some great thoughts from there. So some of these thoughts I'm going to share with courtesy of those guys and God works through us all. So it's awesome to be able to learn from each other. But I love this. How do we learn? Do we learn immediately? Does everything just, is, is learning by osmosis? Like if I take my head and I lay down and put my head on my Bible and just go to sleep, Am I going to learn what's in the Bible? Is it just going to go into my head? No, doesn't no. work that way. Doesn't and if, work that way. And if, like, think about it this way. Like, if you go to school, do you learn your times tables by, like, well, maybe there's a couple of geniuses who saw them on a table, had photographic memory, and could remember it for the rest of their life. But 99.99% of all people got to learn two times one is two. Two times two is four. Two times three is six, right? And then you come to school. I don't know if they still do this, but if they don't, they should. This is probably why people don't know how to do math anymore. Because you come into school and you'd learn your times tables and you do them every day. Yeah. Right? Anybody old enough to remember that? Is it just me? Yes, that was me. Yeah. Right? Because repetition deepens impression. We learn things by doing them over and over and over again. And what I love about this is he says this, look, he says, I have learned He's not saying, hey, I just had some amazing spiritual gift of martyrdom and I just knew what it was going to be and I was able to do it. No, no, no. He says, I've learned. Learning requires failing. Learning requires you to fail at times. It requires you to not do the, you can't be the best. If you want to be the best, you can't start the best. That's basically the way it works. He says, I've learned. Contentment is not something that you automatically have. He says, it's something I've learned. How did you learn it, Paul? How did you learn it? And then he goes on and says, because I know how to be, I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to have a lot. I know how to be prosperous. And I also know how to be humbled, right? I know how to lose everything. How did you learn that, Paul? Because he had stuff and he lost stuff. And then he had stuff and then he lost stuff. And through all of those highs and lows, he's learned that in the midst of the highs, he can do it because of Jesus. And in the midst of the lows, he can do it because of Jesus. In the midst of any circumstance in life, he knows that he can be okay he can rejoice in the midst of difficulty because Jesus will give him the strength. And, you know, sometimes when people quote this verse, they're like, I can do all things through Jesus. And they use it as like this really positive, this is saying that I will be successful at everything. That's exactly not what Paul's saying. He's actually saying, in the midst of a jail cell, in the midst of persecution, I can survive this. I can be contented because I have Jesus in the midst of failure and the midst of difficulty and trial. So it's, it's almost like the opposite of what most people use it for, but it's just significantly more profound and better. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I'm smashing some thoughts today, but hopefully they're beneficial to someone. All right, any thoughts on that before we move on? No, it's beneficial to me as well. <laughs> All right, well, let's keep reading. We're going to go through from 14 to 20. Okay, 14 to 20. 
Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed I have all and abound, I am full, I have I having sorry, having received from Ep- Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Whoo! There's a mouthful that is. What do we take out of this? What what, what sticks out at you? That Paul didn't do it alone. He had people who were financing him, the people who were sending gifts, people who were um, for the cause that we don't see. That we um, he's, he has to thank as well, because he just he he understands he didn't get here on his own. Um, that there were significant people, um, financial backers, who had who had his back, and he understands that. Some some of the things he actually didn't see, but um, he talks about the fruits of the account, um, that there will be others who are going to benefit from um, their support and their financial support. Isn't that awesome? Like, you know, one of the things that really gets under my skin and probably gets under a lot of people's skin, and, and I say this in... Uh, you know, knowing that we all could be tempted to do this. This is not a statement of judgment about I'm better than anyone because we could all fall into this. But when you see somebody like a teller evangelist, for example, and then you find out that they're taking all this money from the church and this big scandal comes out, how does it make you feel about that person's ministry and what they're doing for Jesus? It you ma- feel cheated. You feel like, yeah. yeah. And you feel it, it actually like undoes the value of the message because people yeah. go, well, if you're like this, then the message that you were sharing about Jesus is not true, right? And so it, it, it's it's a really bad thing to do that. And there were many people who who seemed to have talked about Paul this way. And notice what he says here. He says, hey, I'm not seeking a gift for my own sake. And he often in his letters reminds them, hey, I never was was taking what was actually my due. The Bible tells us that the people who work in ministry full-time should be repaid for doing that because that's their labor, he uses that quote. He quotes um, he quotes Leviticus and says, you don't muzzle an ox who's treading grain. He should eat while he labors, right? And he says, I worked, and I worked with my own hands. He was a tent maker. But yet, when he was in prison, how do you do work? And when he was in prison, it was some of his closest friends from the Philippian church who seemed to be willing to pour out from their own hearts to take care of his necessities. Because you've got to remember, in the prison system then, nobody fed you. You didn't, the, the, there was no system of let's keep people alive and happy and we'll vaccinate them and we'll do all this. No, 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 no. None of that. You were in jail and if nobody fed you, you starved to death. Wow. Right? Like your friends had to come and provide for your needs. And so that's what they were doing. So when, when like, think about this. When, when Jesus says go care for the people in prison, he's talking about people who didn't have any care for themselves. It's not like there was government employment, like taking care of this, right? It's the total opposite. You, you were in a dire situation. So he says, hey, thank you for your gift because you provided for my needs when I actually couldn't do anything about them. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. And the last one that we'll, we'll say, and we'll get into our last verse, I think, after the break, after our question of the week time. Verse 19, I love this. He says, And my God shall supply all your need. Notice, he doesn't say all your wants. He says, 
and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I love this, man, because so often we can fall into the trap of what I would call the prosperity gospel, thinking that God's promising you're going to be rich, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be successful. Well, that's not a guarantee. That may happen, it may not. You could lose everything. But he says, not God will provide for all your wants, but he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is Scott Willis. I can do all things. In the darkest night when it's hard to see it's Christ who gives me strength when I feel afraid and I'm losing sleep it's Christ who gives me strength When the work is hard and I'm struggling It's Christ who gives me strength When I don't know how I can make ends meet It's Christ who gives me strength
We're back. We're oh. live, yeah. Hey, sorry, we're having some technical difficulties, so we're uh, we're just going to come back in and we'll keep going with our Bible study. Okay. So, yes, uh, we are back in Philippians and we are coming into our last couple of verses. So let's read verse 21 through verse 23. So here it goes. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Awesome. Okay. What can we draw out of this? You know, one thing that's really interesting, just before we comment on this, is, is to think about the kind of writing that we're reading. You know, we, we do this with all sorts of literature. For example, when you're in school and you're studying in English and they make you study William Shakespeare, whether you like Shakespeare or not is a totally different question. But when you read Shakespeare, you're reading poetry. You're reading poetry, yeah. And so you read it through the lens of poetry. Mm-hmm. And when you read it that way, it helps you to get a clearer understanding of what he was writing for the time that he was writing so you can understand what he was trying to say and translate that to yourself and to your time, right? And if you were to read something like a history book, yeah. you would read it differently, right? Like you're going to, you don't, you don't. Because it's usually chronological and in a, in a specific order. So if you don't know, yeah. Yeah, totally. And if yeah. you've got a book like you're reading, so poetry you'd read differently than you'd read something else. But, but, but the point is this, what is Paul writing here? He's, oh, he's writing a letter. It's a letter. Yeah. Now this is interesting because we're only reading one side of the conversation. Right, like you ever. <laughs> this is true. You ever, you ever hanging out and somebody, you like, you're out to dinner with a friend and somebody, the, your friend has to take a phone call and they start talking. And you're like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. You know, they're talking to a friend, say for example, a, a mutual friend. They start talking, and then as they're talking, you're like, you're only hearing half of the conversation. You're trying to figure it out and piece it together, but you've only got half the conversation. So it makes it a little bit tricky. It's interesting. So when when we're reading this. We have to remember that that's what we're reading. We're reading Paul's letter, which is half of a communication, right? And we're reading that here, and the letter's actually going to tell us some very interesting things. And I, th- I love that as we read this, I love that as we read this, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus and all the saints who greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household, which says that of the people in the jail system, some of them came to Christ. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. But isn't that interesting? So when you think about this, it's so profound. At the beginning of the letter, he wrote, and let's do a little bit of revision here from chapter 1. So Philippians in chapter 1, in verse 12 through 13, something very interesting happens. He's speaking about how he's imprisoned, and he says something. Do you want to read that for us, Tash? Philippians 1, 12 and 13. But I want you to know, brethren, that the, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Yeah, and 14. Sorry. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I love Woo. this. All right, so this is a bit of revision because we, we did this a number of weeks ago. But yeah. but think about this. He's writing to, to the, the believers in Philippi. He's writing a letter to encourage them in the midst of persecution to stay faithful to Jesus. He writes a couple of things to say, hey, I know there's a personal disagreement happening between two of you that were working with me, that were sharing the gospel. Um, I want you to make sure that you guys sort out, have some conflict resolution. Don't let that get in between what's going on here in the church. Uh, you help them out. 
and he's writing this stuff in this letter, and he says, hey, by the way, I want you to know that my imprisonment has actually furthered the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ, even to the point, even to the point where the people who are working in Caesar's palace guard, this is again the secret service, so to speak, of the palace guard for the, what would you call it? The um, Caesar's palace, well, the, the Roman emperor's thing, right? I'm sorry, I'm just losing my thoughts here. But anyway, the point is this. It doesn't say there that any of them had come to belief. It just says that they've heard. They all know. Everybody, even even the social secret service of Caesar's empire, even they are hearing the good news of Jesus. But you don't know if any of them have believed. But then when you come right to the end, he says this. Remember, verse 21 of chapter 4 of Philippians. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me, right? So he's saying those believers, those faithful followers of Jesus that are with me here, they greet you. All the saints greet you, in fact, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Caesar's household. Boom. He's saying that, look, even the people who are working and living in Caesar's own palace, even those folks, some of them have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you got to remember... And I'm just lear- I'm learning more about this at the moment, but you got to remember this was a huge thing in this in the first century, because you have to remember that the Roman system was not only a pantheon with, of gods, right? They believed in multiple gods. They were polytheistic, is the word for that. But not only that, they had actually they all actually had a what's called a cult or a religious belief of Caesar, <laughs> meaning that they believed and preached that one of the gods they should worship, and in fact the god that they should worship as supreme, was Caesar, Caesar himself, himself, the emperor, right? So the emperor of the world at that time, living in Rome, he was considered the son of God. Isn't that interesting? It's the same title that we have Paul saying, no, 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 no. No, Caesar's not the son of God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And you know what they would actually say? They're, they're saying the people who were involved in what's called the, the, the cult of Caesar, right? Those who believed in, in Caesar's, the, in, in the emperor's divinity and they would worship him. The, the saying was this, and this was the saying throughout the Roman Empire. It was kurios, which means Lord. Caesar is Lord, right? But that's not, not what Paul says. He says Jesus is, is Lord. Lord. And so what he's doing here is he's making a huge statement. He's saying, no, 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 you said that the emperor of the Roman Empire, he's the son of God. He's the Lord of the whole world. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, the crucified Messiah, he is the Lord of the whole world. And so what he's doing is he's making not only a religious statement, he's making a religio-political statement. Mm. Because he's saying the whole order of the world has now been changed. And you thought Caesar was God, but I'm telling you, Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God and we have our citizenship in heaven, then we are a new community that operates on new principles, not on the world principles, but on God's principles. And this is so profound that it's hard to really convey in language on the radio. But the, the significance there is huge. And I love this because how does this all tie in, Robbie? You're talking a lot and it's getting kind of boring. The point is this. Even people who lived in Caesar's own household had come to faith in Jesus. They had shifted their faith from believing that Caesar was the son of God to believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they were living a different life 
even knowing that it could land them in prison just like Paul. Powerful. Profound stuff. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I love it. I don't know what's going on with our technical difficulties here, but are we going to keep talking? Oh. We're going to keep talking. We're going to keep talking, guys. I don't know how long the rest of the show is. We've got some. We've got a long time. We've got like 15 more minutes. That's okay. We're, hope, we're trying to get some music there so you can have a little bit of a break from us, but uh, it is what it is. I wish I had my guitar. We could sing a song. Could. I'm not good at harmony, but we could probably you know, try and work I'll, something together. <laughs> you're, good at, you're good at harmony. I'm good at the harmony. All we right. Can, we, so, can, we can work that out. Can I, can I just add one little please tag? Do. Tag something on the end of that. That's... Um, he used what's the word is polemically so he used the language of their time the language that they were used to so son of God son of Caesar but used it to communicate the gospel so what am I trying to say is that um, Paul writes well no the gospel is always communicated to us in the way that we will understand yeah it's not yeah we were saying it earlier like you don't have to have all the experience or be qualified or know all the all the ins and outs of how the Bible works, but God will communicate it to us in a way that we understand. Isn't that amazing? I I I, I love what you're saying there, Tash, because there are times where we and this is not to say that the language of Scripture is not good. I'm, I'm we're, we're not saying we're not that saying, at all. Yeah. What we are saying is that there are times where the language. Of scripture may not make sense to us. So, so I work I work in a context where I'm working at what's called a church plant, meaning we started a church. And a lot of the people that we work with have very little to no religious background. Now, what do we do in that context when we start using words that are commonly used in, in churches? Words that are religious, but we're working in a secular society. How do we communicate those truths to them so that they can understand? Now, this is not to say you can't use church words. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. You just need to explain what they mean as you use them and not fall into the trap of using what's, what we would call jargon, right? Because um, this is a common question that people would ask. How do we, how do we communicate to people who have not come from a church experience? So here's a, you know, question of the week, so to speak. Um, well, one of the things that we can do is we can speak a language that works for the people. Ooh, it's working. It's working. We're going to... Can I finish this this thought and then we'll ta- we'll go to a break shortly here and we'll get you a, a, a bit of music before we get in. But I just want to finish this thought. The thought is this, that we can communicate things to people in a language that they can understand. We never do this by changing the meaning of what we're saying. We never change the truth of the gospel but if I'm speaking to a tradie who's got a certain degree of education or I'm speaking to a businessman who's got a different degree of education or I'm speaking speaking to a doctor who's got, again, a different degree of education, right? They're going to have different language that they use that makes sense to them. And so what Paul is doing here is you're saying he's, he's an expert at this. He's using language that people will understand in order to communicate the truths of Scripture to them in a way that will make sense to them. And we'll change everything. Mm. And so we can do that too. And Jesus does this. Jesus uses parables to communicate powerful truths by using pictures that people understood. You know, for me, if you tell me, yeah, the kingdom of God is like a seed. Well, I got to tell you, I don't have a lot of experience gardening. It doesn't mean as much to me as it does to somebody who grew up on a farm. But somebody on the farm is going to have a picture. They're going to understand this. And Jesus was speaking to a group of people who were agricultural. And so they understood 
huge depths of meaning that perhaps we, if we were growing up, say, in an urban environment in 21st century Australia, we may not have that same understanding. So we have to explain and understand those things. And we can utilize language to help make it clearer for people to see the truth. Anyway, we're going to take a break now. We're going to go to this song now that we've got got it working again. This is Fernando Ortega.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. We hope you, you enjoyed that without the uh, little scrunchy bits, so to speak. Uh, glad we've got that back working. Um, for our question of the week this week, the question is, what is the reason for Paul having two names? Um, so there's a... Oh, yeah. Hey, what's what time is it? Oh. Oh, question of the We're feeling super professional in the studio today. With all the difficulties we're having, we needed a little bit of a jingle there. So for question of the week, again, the question is, what's the deal with Paul having two names? Why is he called Saul and at times and also called Paul at times? Do you have anything to share with us, Tash? Have you heard this question before? I've heard this question before. and There are a couple of answers. There are a couple of answers, yes. There are a few answers. Um, some say that... Uh, during his conversion, his name was changed after, so it was Saul originally, and then it was changed to Paul. Um, also though, just to note, Jesus still addresses him later as Saul. Um, so that's in, as it's later on after Acts 9. Um, so yes, so he, he was actually, the name Saul and Paul were both used because, so this is one of the names, one of the reasons, he was called Saul because it's a Jewish name, and then Paul was the Roman name. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So what it, Saul, according to uh, Wikipedia, means, <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there, that's where I'm quoting this from, um, in terms of, not the whole answer to the question, but just the me- meaning of the name. Um, in Hebrew, Shaul, which means to ask or to question, I believe. Yeah. Um, and Paul, which is a Roman or Latin name for small or humble. Um, it would have been Paulus, uh, most likely how it would have been pronounced in the time. And um, it's really interesting to note, yeah, like you said, that Jesus refers to him as Saul. Yeah. Um, but also that when he's met by Ananias, he calls him Brother Saul. Saul as well. Isn't it yeah. interesting? It's because he calls him Brother. He's saying, you, you're you a believer in Jesus. I'm recognizing you as part of the, the family of Jesus' followers. And so it's interesting that he calls him Brother Saul. Um, so, so a lot of scholars would suggest that he had both of these names already and that he chose to go by a different name. And it, it talks about, I believe it was in Cyprus that he first starts going by Paul, um, which is just interesting at that time. He's now reaching out to a predominantly Gentile community. He's traveling. Um, so there's a number of reasons why that may take place. But that being said, it doesn't necessarily mean that there, that there was no significance to, to <laughs> going by that name, even if he had both of those names. Because um, we see this this idea in Scripture where names have significance. And so it's interesting that Paul goes by the name of Paul later, and P- 
Peter refers to him as Paul later on in his ministry in Second Peter chapter 3, I believe it is. Um, and it's interesting that that name change does say small or humble, and maybe that had some significance for Paul because he had been humbled by the experience of coming to Christ. So there you have it. Uh, name changes can be significant. It's worth looking into. Hope that's helpful to somebody out there. We're going to go back to another song. This is Vocal Union, He Looked Beyond My Fault. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it was grace that bought my liberty I do not know just why he came to love me so he looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. beyond my fault and saw my need. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought my liberty. why he came to love me so he looked beyond my fault and saw my need I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary For me, 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. That song again was... I forgot the name. It's gone. Looked Sounds beyond my faults and so my needs. So we want to thank you for being patient with us today and looking beyond our technical faults. That's right. <laughs> and hanging in so there with us. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we didn't bore you too much with having to have some extra talking time, but hopefully it was a, be- a blessing to someone. So it's come the end of our show, and we just wanted to do some applications, some practical applications. What can we draw out of this study for our real lives? What do you got for us, Tash? Uh, number one, choosing joy. Ooh. Yeah. Yes, and to rejoice. That's why he says rejoice always. And again, I will say rejoice as a reminder that we, we can choose joy every day. I love that. Whatever you're going through, you can, you can make choices. Now, that doesn't mean that it's automatically going to become easy and everything's going to be okay all, the, all immediately. No, no, that's, that's not the point. The point is that we can choose to trust in Jesus and experience joy. Maybe not continual state of happiness all the time, but an, an indwelling joy that gives us the courage to keep mm. going and to trust and rely on God in the midst of that. I love that. Choose yeah, joy. Absolutely. And the next one, the be anxious for nothing, but in prayer. The reason why we can have a, we can live, not, what were you saying earlier? Some stress doesn't always lead to distress. That's right. And we can live through our struggles, through, you know, the depression and the anxiety, the anxious times, because we give it to God in prayer. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And remember that I think this is a super practical one. If you're not in a space right now where you pray to God, first of all, God is listening. You can. And you don't have to know what to say. But I want to recommend to you that what has helped me, one of the things that helps me, has helped me most, most mouthful in my spiritual journey with Jesus has been to open my heart to God as to a friend, as one of my favorite authors puts it. And to just be honest and share with God the highs, the lows, and to thank Him in the midst of that as I ask Him for help with those situations. But I love that it's not just that. You know, you might say, well, yeah, but Robbie, you know, you can pray and do nothing. But, but that's not the point either because He follows on from that and He says, pray and then think on good things yeah. and then do as Christ did. So yeah. pray, think, think and, and do. do. Yeah. And I think that when you, app- when you apply those three things in your life, you will see significant change in different areas. Another thing that I, th- I thought was really valuable out of this is contentment in Jesus through trials is not something that you just automatically are good at. So if you're experiencing trials and you're having struggles and you got questions and you're wrestling with doubts, it's okay. It's okay. Come to God with, in prayer with those things, but also recognize that as you make it through difficulties, you endure, you learn how to endure. You know, you don't learn to walk in one step. All of a sudden, you're great. You fall down. You get up. You walk further. You fall down. Oh, you stumbled. You got up. You walked. You fell. It's like that in the Christian journey. So don't give up. Keep walking with yeah, Jesus. Never give up. Yeah. Never give up. That's the difference between success and failure. I forget which proverb it is, but it's in Proverbs. He says, the, the, the wicked falls down to his destruction, but the righteous man falls and gets up seven, seven times. times. Yeah. I love it. And I also, oh, my last point is, um, 
at the end of this letter, he's he's greeting everyone, but he's saying, hey, like there's things that have happened here, things that I can't tell you all in detail, but g- the gospel has been preached. And uh, and that's amazing because when you're sitting in a prison cell looking and you're, you're reaching out to your friends that are in Philippi and it's ending. <laughs> no, no, same thing. It's all right. But it's okay because know that God's work is still being accomplished in you and through you. Amen. All right, guys. All the best. God bless you. Remember that real faith is live faith.